Thank you for listening to the Rivers Church podcast with Pastor Andre and the Rivers team. Be sure to subscribe for a weekly dose of encouragement and inspiration to help your daily life. We pray that this message will help in whatever season of life you might be in. Well, hi church. Great to be speaking to you across the campuses today. And I'm going to be dealing with a hot topic. It's current in churches around the world. And especially since COVID, people are asking, are we in the last days Are we in the end times? And I'm going to do a message today called the signs of the end. It won't be comprehensive, but enough to prompt us to realize that we're living in the last days and the signs of the end are imminent or prominent around us. And so let's delve into it right now and look at this term last days. Being confusing, people say the last days. Yes, in Acts chapter one, uh, the Bible says that they were in the last days, quoting Joel. Uh, in these last days, I will pour out my spirit. Hebrews chapter one, the writer says this. He says that in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son. So clearly the last days or the beginning of the end times began when Jesus came to the earth. Now, Paul writing to Timothy speaks to him about the church in the end times and what it will look like and how people will behave. And he gives him kind of some advice about it so that he can prepare himself. So our first uh, reading will be from 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 1. And it starts with a serious note. He says, but mark this. In other words, pay attention to these trends. There will be terrible times in the last days, terrible times. People will call these times good times, but they are terrible times. He says, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, Uh, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, like a a a religiosity, if you like, but denying its power. You see, religion can't change you, but the power of God and the power of the word can change us. And then he says, uh, have nothing to do with such people. In other words, these people can influence you and these are signs of the last days or the end times. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he goes on to speak about wrong doctrine and how people with itching ears will seek after teachers who will satisfy that religious bent. They like to come to church, but don't put pressure on me. And in fact, Vance Havner, uh, the author, says this about those times. He says, the devil is not fighting religion. He's too smart for that. He's producing a counterfeit Christianity, so much like the real one that good Christians are afraid to speak out against it. He says, we are plainly told in the scriptures that in the last days, men will not endure sound doctrine and will depart from the faith and heap to themselves teachers to tickle their ears. We live in an epidemic of this itch, he says, and popular preachers have developed ear tickling into a fine art. People are going to be so self-absorbed in the way they live that when they come to church, they're going to be self-absorbed as well. And they're going to want preachers to cater to their lifestyle, cater to their thinking. This is one of the symptoms of the times that we're living in. In fact, the Lord's brother Jude also here begins to speak about the last days. And in Jude verse 18, he refers to a quote and says, they said to you in the last times, there will be scoffers who follow their own ungodly 
desires. So people will laugh at Christians, will mock us because they live according to their desires and passions. That's one of the symptoms of the last days. And then Peter warned his readers as well that people in the last times would scoff and they would mock and they would kind of look at us as fools. And in 2 Peter 3, he's here speaking of what's going to be happening in the world, not in the church. He says, first of all, you must understand that in these last days, clearly started when Jesus died and rose again, he says, some people will appear whose lives are controlled by their own lust. Can you see desires, passions, living according to how you feel? They will mock you and will ask. He promised to come, didn't he? Where is he? But the heavens and earth that now exist are being preserved by the same command of God in order to be destroyed by fire. For they are being kept for the day, he says, when godless people will be judged and destroyed. So God's got a timeline. He created the planet. Then when Jesus came and ushered in salvation, the end times began. And we're now living in the last, if you like, of the last days. And I'll unpack this as we go along. Peter pointing to it, Jude pointing to it, Paul pointing to it and warning about it. And creation is not just random and like a clock that's wound up and or, or evolving. God's got a timeline. He's holding it in reserve. And one day he will destroy all things in the great end time. The disciples were also interested in the end times, having read the prophets. And the second coming of Jesus and the last days are tied together. And so they ask the Lord Jesus as they're sitting with him about the end times. And we'll read quite a bit here from Matthew chapter 24, because Jesus' own words about the last days or the end times are referred to here. It says, Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. They were marveling at the magnificence of the temple. Do you see all these things, he asked? Truly, I tell you, not one stone will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. Let's just pause there for a moment. What he's saying here is that one of the symptoms of the last days will be destruction. Things will fall apart. Things that you esteem and value, buildings, creation, all that's going to collapse. And you're pointing to this magnificent temple. He says that's one of the kind of signs of the last days. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. So we can see deception is one of the signs of the end. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. So you can see there's like, it's almost like childbirth. It's gonna pulsate and we can see that intensity in our world. There's always been wars and rumors of wars, but now he, he says it's not yet, but it's gonna, it's gonna build and build and build. And there's gonna be anxiety on the planet. And he goes on to say, such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death and you'll be hated by all nations because of me. People are surprised that Christians are hated. Don't be surprised, it's part of the end times. At that time, many will turn away. Many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. 
Don't be surprised when popular preachers or something on YouTube gets lots of likes and follows and people talk about it, doesn't necessarily mean it's correct. He goes on to say, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So this increased chaos anxiety, poor relationships, Christians will fall away and there'll be a real pressure that we're living under. Many of you can attest to the fact that we're living under tremendous anxiety right now and there's a sense of apprehension in many people's lives. In America, there's a great sense that America could come to an end. And Dr. David Jeremiah has written a wonderful book. In fact, it's a very inspirational book asking about America, is this the end? And in the book, he talks about the anxiety that we're living under. He says, our current anxiety reminds me of a story that came out of the Nazi Blitz in London in the late 1940s. He said, Londoners quickly set up an emergency system of air raid sirens and bomb shelters. Children were sent to safety in other towns, but before the evacuation could be organized, children and adults alike had to endure the terrifying scream of falling bombs the roar of planes overhead and the staccato of bursts of anti-aircraft gunfire and the booming explosions of bombs as they destroyed London targets. He says one little girl was returning home from school when the sirens suddenly sounded. She knew exactly what to do. She dropped her books and she ran headlong towards her home as planes buzzed overhead. And when she arrived home, her father grabbed hold of her. He was frantic and he scooped up in his arms and they ran downstairs into a bomb shelter and the little girl clung to her father. And this is what she said to him. She said, Daddy, can we please go somewhere where there isn't any sky? And uh, it's, there's a sense where there's such anxiety and we, we, we feel like the world is changing and it feels like the sky is falling in. And we're experiencing tension and war and pressure all across the world. These are symptoms of the end times. And although the Bible doesn't give dates and some have given dates, the Bible points to many signs of the end. And we need to know these signs, plural, not sign, signs, plural, and we need to read them. In fact, in the book of Acts, when the disciples asked Jesus about the time, he was very clear in his answer about when he would return. In Acts chapter one and verse six, it says when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the father alone has the authority to set those dates and times and they are not for you to know. So people who speculate about dates and add figures together, they generally have got it wrong for many centuries. In fact, even in the 21st century, people have predicted dates, but we know the signs and we need to look at the signs because the signs like birth pangs are beginning to increase. Now, before I give you the seven signs today, and I hope I can complete them all adequately in the time that we have together, Pastor Greg Laurie from the United States has spoken a lot on the end times, and I will quote him once or twice as we go along. He says, I do believe that we're living in the last days. I know this has been said before, but there are events happening in our world right now that to me are what we call signs of the times. The Bible says that in the last days, that it will be like labor pains. As a woman is ready to give birth, the labor pains get closer and closer together. That's what I think we're seeing. 
that says we're in, maybe now, the last hours before the events are getting closer together. I completely agree with that. And I believe that we're not right now on the brink of Jesus coming, but the intensity is increasing, the anxiety is increasing. And we see seven signs that Jesus spoke about and Paul spoke about. And we'll start with the first one in 2 Timothy chapter three. The first one is this, and it's a very clear sign of the end times, is incredible selfishness, narcissism, and moral decline. We are seeing people obsessed with themselves like never before. In this uh, century, we've coined the phrase selfie because people are obsessed with taking pictures of themselves and promoting themselves. There's a preoccupation with your own self and your own self-image, with fame, with uh, self-aggrandizement, self-promotion, self-love. It's a me culture. And even the advertising uh, helps us to, to, to love on ourselves, to brag on ourselves. And uh, the Bible says men will be lovers of themselves, not lovers of God. They won't love their neighbor. The love of many will wax cold. It says also they'll be lovers of money because money gives you the ability to promote yourself, dress up and do makeup and make yourself look good, buy possessions so that people will follow you. We are obsessed with this and it completely relates to what Paul warned Timothy about. And uh, the idea that we can live presenting ourselves, showing off and being obsessed with ourselves uh, we've never seen anything like this in the world before. In fact, someone once said this, never before have so many been so proud of so little. People have such a little, they've got a coffee, but they've got to promote it and let you know what they're having. And so there's this obsession with self, obsession with money. And in South Africa, we're obsessed with money. That's why we've got crime, we've got fraud, we've got corruption. These are not products of social ills. The heart of man wants money and he's obsessed with money so self can be satisfied. And it is an insane time to be alive, especially when you're trying to relate to people. Philip Yancey wrote a great book called Vanishing Grace, where he speaks about things in the world that are vanishing. And he's quite shocked at what he's seeing happening around us. Because when you're self-obsessed, let me just mention this, when you're self-obsessed, what happens is you don't care about others. And that's why relationships break down, marriages break down, people are obsessed with their feelings, what they want, what they think they deserve. And in his book, he summarizes the free fall of morals in America pointing to symptoms of the last days. And he says, in my own lifetime, the divorce rate has doubled. The rates of teen suicide and violent crime have both tripled and births out of wedlock have sextupled. The leading causes of death are self-inflicted. The side effects of tobacco, obesity, alcohol, sexually transmitted disease, drugs, and violence. That's what we're living with right now. Man is obsessed with pleasure. He's obsessed with himself, that narcissism, that, that, that self-aggrandizement. And, and it is exactly the same as the time when Noah was on the earth. In fact, when we talk about man being depraved, people get upset. They say, we, we're not depraved. Well, that doesn't mean we, 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 we compete beasts. But like in the time of Noah, Jesus referred to the time of Noah. Uh, the Bible says that God destroyed the planet and brought the end of that era because of the way man behaved and the way man uh, abandoned God and just lived for himself. And the Bible says in Genesis 6 and verse 5 that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart 
was only evil all the time. And that's what happens when you put yourself first. It's evil schemes. And, and, and Jesus said it would be exactly the same. In the end times, people would be obsessed with themselves and that's when the end would come. And uh, I wanna to read to you from Matthew chapter 24 because it sounds like it's, it's, the end will come when we're kind of norm, normal business, you know, normal activities. But it was the time of now because of attitudes. And uh, Jesus says here in Matthew 24, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. In other words, they were going about their lives, living it up, having good times, making money, just man, and ignoring God, living for themselves. And he says, that is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Now, he interjects here something very important. He says, two men will be in the field. One will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. And so the same social conditions that existed during Noah's time and God brought it all to a sudden end and the people were oblivious. We're living in those same social conditions. We're going about, we're living, we're not getting married, but we're just living it up and we're living for ourselves and we're ignoring God completely. But a rapture is gonna take place and God's gonna separate the church from the world and he's gonna take his people. Second Thessalonians uh, tells us that he will, uh, sorry, one Thessalonians tells us that the rapture will take place in chapter four and that the, when Jesus comes, he will rapture the living Christians and those who have died in Christ and we would get new bodies and a new era would be ushered in at his second coming. But we'd be living such normal lives, we wouldn't expect it. And so Jesus pointed to this event as, as, an, as an end times eschatological event that would take place. And, and it, it seems amazing, but we are heading towards that. And uh, we're on the brink of it because of the signs and the behavior of people. Dr. Jeremiah in his book says, I never thought I'd see the day when marriage would be obsolete, morality would be in free fall, and the church would become irrelevant to society. And so those are some of the symptoms. Dr. Jerry Falwell, the president of Liberty University, the late president of that university, not Jerry Falwell Jr., but the senior great man of God, he said this, he said, during the last times, men will be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. When you think of our sports-driven society and our media-driven society and our leisure-driven society, then you understand we are living in the last days. Narcissism, self-absorption, pleasure are one of the signs that we're getting near the end. Quite startling, in fact. Now, the second sign, and we look at seven, the second one is this, the rebellion against all authority. There is, in a sense today, uh, an attitude amongst human beings with that self-pleasure drive. Is, is they're almost saying to you, who says I can't? Who says I can't? Does God say, well, who is God? And, and, and there's a sense where, where people are living with that, who says I can't drive the way I want to, eat the way I want to, say what I want to, live the way I want to, be what I want to. And, and, and anything I feel I want to do or be, I should be allowed to. And self is indulged and authority is rejected. And so we live in a, in a society where people reject authority, that of police, that of parents. And, and Paul wrote to Timothy and said that people would be disobedient to parents. They would reject authority. Jude speaks about rejecting authority. And so that's one of the key symptoms that we're seeing across the world today. And uh, people want to just live 
any way they think, you know. If I don't think it's wrong, they say, then it's not wrong. And that's called what we call situational ethics. If the situation warrants, then I will do it. If the situation warrants, I'll go through a red light. If the situation warrants, I won't stop at a stop street. If the situation warrants, I'll sleep with a woman even though I'm not married to her. Well, I'll sleep with a man or what the case may be. And so we do as we want and we reject authority because we believe we are our own authority. And that's one of the symptoms of the end times. And self must be indulged, feelings must be indulged rather than God's authority. And so man becomes his own God and we can see that on the planet and God will not put up with it. The Bible warns us from the Old Testament all the way through into the new. And um, we, we have in our society right now a complete breakdown of relationships as a result of these attitudes and no civilization can last if these attitudes prevail, it has to either collapse or be brought to an end in God's plan and God's timetable. Arnold Tornby was a great British historian and he said this about civilization. He said, out of 21 civilizations preceding this one, 19 of them have been destroyed by a mixture of atheism, materialism, socialism, and alcoholism. Tucked in there, is materialism, living for self, acquiring possessions, and doing as we please. Our culture cannot continue, something must give. The third sign that we see that Jesus spoke about is wholesale spiritual deception. Wholesale spiritual deception. In Matthew chapter 24, he said that people would be deceived and many would be deceived and people wouldn't have the ability to discern what truth is, you know, they talk about my truth. So people have their own truth. They concoct their own values and people wouldn't understand Bible truth. They wouldn't be able to discern Bible truth. In fact, many times when people come to church and we preach the Bible, often people will disagree and argue. That's that rejection of authority and that inability to discern what's really right and really wrong because they're not open to it. And uh, we have what's called new age spirituality where people are gullible. They're open to all sorts of beliefs. They think they can make their beliefs up like you make up a, like a buffet, you know, you can, you can have veggies and meat and you can have a section for the vegetarians and people create a smorgasbord of religion. And this is a symptom of the last day where they are completely deceived as to what is the truth, as to who God the Father is, who the God the Son is and who God the Holy Spirit is. And uh, we see in, in the last century more cults emerging than at any other time in history. We've seen across America cults emerging that have led people to kill themselves. We've even seen uh, in Texas the David Koresh thing, and, and there are many like that in Japan. People have been led astray by people who said they were the Messiah. And Jesus said these would be one of the symptoms of the end times. Even in our churches today across the world, the contemporary church, what we call the cool church, people are being deceived by people who dress in cool clothing and even the cool contemporary atmosphere, but the teaching is not sound and people don't have the ability to discern. In fact, a theologian by the name of Cornelius Plattinger, he wrote a book called Not the Way It's Supposed to Be, a very interesting book, and he says this about deception. I want you to really just listen here carefully. He says, self-deception about our sin is a narcotic, a tranquilizing and disorienting suppression of our central nervous system. What's devastating about it is that we, when we lack an ear for wrong notes in our lives, we cannot play right ones or even recognize them 
in the performances of others. So when you're deceived, it's like your, your, inner, your, your whole system goes, is like suppressed. It's like numbed. And so you can't tell right from wrong. You can't tell a good note from a bad one. You can't tell when someone sings out of tune or speaks out of tune. Your whole system is completely distorted. And Jesus said this would happen. That's why we need Bible-believing churches where we come regularly and we're taught the word and we exegete scripture and we unpack books of the Bible. We don't just hear topics that stimulate us for success. Christianity needs to be deeper than that because we're living in a time of wholesale spiritual deception. Number four, the fourth thing, and Jesus referred to it, is wars and natural disasters would increase. And he says, but these are but the beginning of birth pains. Now we know there've been wars since the beginning of time, but there are many wars going on right now on the planet that threaten the very existence of our planet. The war with Russia and Ukraine, the war in the Middle East. These are signs of the times. And man's heart is incredibly sinful, even though his mouth speaks of tolerance and peace. He's a divider and he's depraved and he cannot make peace on his own without God's help. If you look at the earthquakes and natural disasters that have been taking place across the world, these have also increased tremendously. There've been 20 earthquakes just in the 21st century alone, over 6.0 magnitude. That's, that's pretty high, right up to eight magnitude. 20 of these have happened. And the greatest one we saw was the Indian Ocean one, where 228,000 people, just shy of that, die, 228,000, massive disaster. We've not seen disasters of this scale. And the weather's in chaos and people say, it's the cars we drive and you know a little bit of cooking and, and the meat we eat. No, 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 this planet is creaking and it's undergoing chaos because it's part of the whole cycle of the planet being wound up and, 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 and there'd be signs. Jesus said there'd be signs in the sky and there'd be signs on the earth. Now in Luke 21, Jesus speaks about the end times and refers to this and I wanna, wanna us to read it because the scripture is what we build our thinking on. He says there will be great earthquakes. Notice that, great earthquakes, famines and pestilences. The Greek word there is plagues like COVID and, and other things that we've seen, black death in various places and fearful events. Notice that fear, anxiety producing events and great signs from heaven. He says there will be signs in the sun, moon and stars. Now the, the universe is gonna, things are gonna change. On the earth, nations will be in anguish and perplexity at the roaring and tossing of the sea. We, we've seen things happen in, at the moment, flooding like never before. But, but he says the planet is going to show signs that we, we can't control it. We think we can control a little bit of rain and a little bit of carbon dioxide. We're, we're powerless. God has created this planet and he will wind it up. And um, the, the Apostle Paul, in speaking about creation and, and, and confirming the words of Jesus in Romans chapter eight, he says this for the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice. In other words, this planet was, is in frustration, not because it chose it, but because God cursed it at the fall of Adam. And, and it's been getting, it's, the, the, the symptoms of its breakdown are increasing as we go on, on through history. And, and he says here, but the, by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. We're seeing what's called the second law of thermodynamics. 
Things aren't evolving and improving. Things are winding down and getting worse and worse and worse. The weather, what we're seeing all around us is, is decay. And it says it will be brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. He says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. So this slow breakdown, instead of what we believe, this imaginary evolution, we're seeing a breakdown of everything. And part of what you're seeing in the weather, part of what you're seeing with global warming is all part of the earth winding down until God steps in and says, okay, that's it. My period and plan and determined time is over and Christ will come back and a new heavens and a new earth will be created. I was reading about climate change and some of the chaos in the world just in the month of November alone of 2023. And I found it staggering uh, in, in, in the Greek, Turkish and Bulgarian floods like they've never ever seen in Europe. There were record breaking downpours that paralyzed most of Hong Kong. And people are just staggered. It all happened around the 15th, 16th, 17th of November. Then there was record rain that led to landslides in Sao Paulo, in Brazil. An ice storm swept through Texas. And, and uh, that part of Texas, you don't see that. It, it's pretty warm and temperate. And they were staggered. They were unprepared. Cyclone Freddy ravaged Malawi, Mozambique, and Madagascar, and Zimbabwe. Then there was a heat wave that swept over Asia. South Sudan saw the fourth year of consecutive flooding. Rwanda saw the worst flooding in years. Italy experienced torrential rainfall. Cyclone Mocha devastated Manya. Tropical storm Moa hit Japan, Guam, the Philippines and Taiwan. Catastrophic flooding swamped Vermont in the United States and monsoon flooding occurred in India and uh, Hundreds of millions across the US, Europe, and Asia were hit by severe heat. People were dying from it. A melting glacier lake caused extensive flooding in India. There were wide wildfires that engulfed Argentina and that spread across Hawaii. We've got friends there. Devastation, unimaginable. Then deadly flooding wiped out entire neighborhoods in Libya. A powerful hurricane, Otis, hit Mexico. And then a deadly storm ripped through Western Europe. The worst flood in decades hit Somalia and Kenya. In South Africa, we had hailstones the size of tennis balls and flooding all across Cape Town. And then lastly, in a place you'd never expect, in Dubai, there was unbelievable flooding. Even the airport had water coming through into the arrivals. And so terrible, terrible weather events. And um, if, if, you, if you study the topic of the weather, you can draw the wrong conclusions. But people have been talking about creation and these child pain births for a long time. Dr. Henry Morris is a brilliant scholar and he wrote a book called uh, Creation and the Second Coming because God created it. And then, you know, when the second coming takes, takes place, the end of creation will occur. And he lists 18 signs of the second coming or the end times. And I wanna mention just 11 to you here, um, global water pollution, global air pollution, population explosion, incurable pestilences, or, or, or um, uh, like, like COVID, sophisticated weapons of destruction, soil erosion, destruction of rainforest, explosion, uh, sorry, explosive increase of drug use, legalized abortion and homosexuality, species in extinctions, 
and chemical pollution. He, he lists 18 of them. There's so many signs and people are trying to tax us and, and limit these things and bring about you know, certain laws so that we can live in this perfect world. No, it's pulsating and the signs of the end are evident. What we've got to do is we've got to live with our eyes on the future. We've got to have our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ and His return, not on trying to create a utopia here and trying to make this place pleasant. And instead of invoking fear into everyone, we need to bring faith and say, hey, we know this is happening, but our eyes are on Him. And even though we might experience disasters and loss in our world, we're not going to get upset by it because our eyes are on Jesus Christ, our Savior, who once came and died on the cross, but He's coming again to usher in the last and the end and then to create a new heavens and a new earth and to bring about peace. Let me do the rest quickly here because it is so important for us to understand how this will all uh, unfold. In, in the book of Psalms, the, the Bible reminds us here about how the end times will take place with the planet. And, and it says, long ago, the psalmist says, you laid, the, you laid the foundation of the earth and made the heavens with your hands. They will perish, but you remain forever. They will wear out like an old, like old clothing. You will change them like a garment and discard them. And so this planet is going through changes, but it's God's design. He's got a limited lifespan for it. And we should recognize that we're seeing God's design in the chaos around us instead of panicking. If you read the book of Revelation and study it sometime in your own time, you'll see there in chapter eight, you hear of the seven trumpets ushering in all this kind of chaos, the weather and pestilences and so on. And then you go to Revelation 16. And again, you see there the seven bowls being poured out. It's all part of God's unction and God's initiation. It's not man's destruction. It's God's plan to end it all. Let me get to number five. Number five, one of the most important signs of the end times is the formation of the state of Israel. God's plan has always been to uh, end things in the, in the Middle East, in that part of the world. It's a very important part of the world. And establishing Israel is a sign of the end because the Bible prophesies that God would summon them out of all the nations after He has punished them, not only with the Babylonian exile, but in the end times, He would gather them again and He would form them into a nation. Just two verses quickly here, and this is a comprehensive subject. Ezekiel chapter 36, for I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. God spoke of it and it happened in 1948 when the state of Israel was restored. And the way God got, that, uh, got them all to come back to the, the state of Israel is because they were being persecuted. Now the Bible talks about this in Jeremiah 16. And the Lord says, this is how I'll get them to come back to the land. He says, but now I'm sending for many fishermen who will catch them, says the Lord. I'm sending for hunters who will hunt them down in the mountains, hills, and caves. So persecution during World War II is what drove them back. And God used it as part of His plan to form the state of Israel. And the state of Israel is extremely important in end time matters. In fact, uh, Pastor Greg Laurie in speaking about the nation of Israel summed it up so well, I'm going to quote his words. So just listen carefully as I read this to you today. He, he says, among the biggest prophetic signs is Israel's reemergence in the homeland. Something that unfolded on May the 14th, 1948, when the Jewish state was formed following the Holocaust. 
Israel's, Israel being in the land is a sign of the end times. The Bible also says that Jerusalem would be at the center of world conflict in the end times. The Bible predicted thousands of years ago that the end time events would revolve around Jerusalem. He says you're being an American, not San Francisco, not Los Angeles, not Moscow, not Paris, Jerusalem, this tiny little city in this tiny sliver of land will play a key role in the events of the last days. It's the focal point of the end times. It's incredible how God has brought them back, how they've survived, only 9 million people. They have nations around them, 14 nations who hate them living around them with 400 million people opposed to them in just those nations. So they're, they're 40 times smaller than the people who are attacking them, yet they survive. God's got his hand on them. He's brought them there because end time events will all culminate there. The battle of Armageddon will take place and everything will center and Jesus will come and put his feet on the Mount of Olives. And so this is a very, very important event in the life of the end times or the plan of the end times. And we need to note it as of great, great importance and a sign that we're heading towards the last of the last days. Number six, Two more, let me do them quickly here. The persecution of Christians. Jesus spoke about this in Matthew 24. Let me remind you, I'll read it again. Then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death and you will be hated by all nations because of me. Well, why would this happen? Would they suddenly not like the way we dress or look? No, no, no. All nations are becoming secular. In other words, they formulate a do-as-you-like policy where everyone can be free to just live however they choose as long as there's some measure of order. And as Christians, we our light will shine and it will upset them and it will shine on their darkness. And as a result, we will be hated because of it. And the more we preach, the more we resist a government's control over us, you, you will do this and you will do that and you will have an abortion. You can't have any more children. You see, Christians resist things like communism and socialism and abortion and, 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 and same-sex marriage because, with, because of what the Bible teaches. And we, we don't shine our own light. We're like the moon. We shine the light of the sun and people get upset with that. And so we mustn't take it personally. We must go, you know what? We are only reflectors of the truth of God. And if people hate us, it's because they hate him. And so we need to just persevere and move forward. And we mustn't just go along with the world's trends of its, its economic thinking, its, its victim thinking, its, its sexual behaviors. We need to go with God's plan and be uh, able to take the heat and the, the persecution that is coming our way. Dr. Paul Nyquist wrote a book called Prepare. And if you get a chance to read it, very good book. He says, for nearly 250 years, Christians in America were able to live in relative freedom from persecution. We escaped because our society historically embraced and promoted biblical values. Our founding fathers penned a constitution, esteeming religious freedom and establishing that rights come from God, not the government. But we are witnessing an epic change in our culture a spiritual climate shift threatening to reshape life as we know it. Hostility and intolerance are replacing toleration. Rejection and even hatred are pushing aside acceptance. 
You see, the key thing today for us to do in the face of persecution is not to compromise our Bible teaching or to be so open that we, you know, we, we, we want people to feel comfortable in our churches. No, we need to keep preaching the uncompromising Word of God in these last days. Take the heat of criticism because God wants disciples, not just crowds. We need crowds because from crowds we can reap disciples. So we need to get as many people into church or reach as many people as we can. But one of the symptoms of the end times is that they won't like us. And so we shouldn't seek to be popular by adjusting our church, but we should stick to Bible values and trust God to prick people's hearts and to bring them to genuine conversion. The last sign that I'm gonna deal with today, and Jesus spoke about it, and so did the Apostle Paul, is a great falling away a great falling away. The Bible talks about it in the Greek as the great apostasy, where people would turn from the faith. Jesus said the love of many would, would grow cold. People would turn away from one another, turn away from believing in God. And the author, Sherry L. Dew says, the last days are not for the faint of heart or the spiritually out of shape. You see, these, these are tough times we're living in. And you can't be faint of heart and you can't be spiritually out of shape. You need to be in top form because many people around you are gonna fall away and try and get you to fall away with them. But uh, Jesus said, they that endure to the end would be saved. Now, why would be a, there be a great falling away? It's actually quite simple. And, and I'll give you just two simple reasons why people even right now are falling away from the faith. The first one is that life is so tough and the troubles we're experiencing so difficult that Christians can't believe anymore that God is good and that He's got a good plan for their lives and that He cares for them. The two seem to contradict. And so people say, well, if God's good, how could He let this happen? And so people fall away. And we see that happening all the time. Suffering, hardship, disappointment has produced that falling away. And I've spoken about that in recent times. The second one is this though. The true gospel will continuously be preached in an uncompromising way, calling people to be disciples of Christ. And as a result of that, people will not want to bow the knee and lay their lives down. So they will fall away, but they won't fall away from spirituality. They'll adopt a kind of doctrine and thinking that suits themselves. A religion of their own making, as Paul said to Timothy, without any power in it. And the heat of these two things are causing people to fall away right now. We really see it in our world. Uh, G.K. Beale wrote an amazing book called We Become What We Worship. And I've quoted from it numerous times throughout the years. And he comments on 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, where Paul talks about the end times. And he says this, he says, the point Paul appears to be making is that the visible church community within which true saints exist will become so apostate that it will be dominantly filled with people who profess to be Christian, but really are not. The church will continue to profess to be Christian, but most in it will actually not be true believers. Staggering thought. But this great falling away was spoken of by both Jesus and Paul. John Stott, the Bible commentator and author said this, he says, the essence of apostasy is changing sides from that of the crucified to that of the crucifier. 
In other words, when you fall away, you don't just stop believing and living in a vacuum. You start becoming opposed. And so we see Christians even opposing us, opposing me as a pastor, opposing us as churches because of what we teach, because it's non-compromising and it's what Jesus calls us to do. In fact, in 2 Thessalonians, as we begin to wrap this message up today, and I hope you've received something from it, and uh, you've got benefit from it today. It's, it's a comprehensive subject. In 2 Thessalonians 2, Paul writing to the church says this, Now, dear brothers and sisters, let us clarify some things about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and how we will be gathered to meet Him. For that day will not come until there is a great rebellion against God. There's first going to be a great rebellion, a great falling away. And the man of lawlessness is revealed. We know that to be the Antichrist, the one who brings destruction. And uh, the Antichrist I'll, I'll refer to in just a moment, but we believe this is the Antichrist. And you know, when Hitler came on the scene, people never imagined that he could do what he did. In fact, uh, one of the great historians of the time, uh, a lady by, by the name of Dorothy Thompson, she was both a historian and a journalist from America. Uh, she published a book in 1933 called I Saw Hitler. She said it took her just 50 seconds after meeting Adolf Hitler to decide that that formless, almost faceless man would never become the dictator of Germany. The Antichrist will not be someone easily recognizable. He might even be on the stage of history right now, ready to emerge. We might be watching him on television occasionally. He's part of the World Economic Forum or he's part of some other body. Maybe he owns a company of some kind and we kind of ignore him. But he could emerge as someone who could pull everyone together and hold everyone together, oppose the church, but make everyone else happy. The Bible says that that's one of the things that will definitely happen in the end times. John, in writing his letters, speaks about the Antichrist. In fact, he's the only one who uses the term Antichrist. And he says in 1 John 2, Dear children, the last hour is here. That's when he wrote the book 2,000 years ago. Already then, the last hour had begun. And he says, You have heard the Antichrist is coming, and already many such Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that the last hour has come. The falling away... And the rise of the Antichrist will bring about a new kind of system and will prepare the way for the second coming of Jesus. As I wrap up here, before I finally close, Pastor Greg Laurie says this. He says, the Bible says that in the last days, there will be people in our churches who are not true believers, among other things, because of watered down messages and compromise. People will feel comfortable in certain churches because they are never confronted with their sin. I believe my job as a pastor is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. In other words, in the face of great falling away, pastors and leaders need to rise up, challenge the church, teach them sound doctrine so that they're strong in the faith and don't lean to compromise and follow things that are actually anti-Christian, all in the name of unity and in the name of love. As I close today, Dr. Billy Graham has said some profound things about the end times. And I want to wrap up by quoting him right now. He says, The end will come with the return of Jesus Christ. That is why a Christian can be an optimist. That is why a Christian can smile in the midst of all that is happening. We know what the end will be. The triumph of the Lord Jesus Christ. A new world is coming. The paradise that man lost will be regained. One day we will live in a brand new world world. Church, we need to respond correctly.
How do we respond to these things that are happening around us? There's several ways we can respond. And with this, I'll close. We can either deny that these things are happening and say, oh, you're talking rubbish. What a lot of nonsense you Christians are talking. You believe that Bible. The second way is we can get into despair. A sense of hopelessness and anxiety can come over us. And instead of denying it, we can just get so discouraged. We feel, oh man, what's, what hope is there for anything? Why buy a house? Why get married? Why do anything? Oh, it's all coming to an end. No, God doesn't want that response either. We can do a third thing. We can dive into pleasure. And the Bible says in Ecclesiastes, eat, drink and be merry, you know, and, and fill yourself up with pleasure. That's not what we need to do. What we need to do is we need to depend on God in hope. That's what we need to do. We need to not run out and be like doomsday preppers, panic and get into anxiety, get into fear, but fully trust in the Lord, build the church, stay committed to the family of believers, hold on to sound doctrine, trust our leaders and move forward into the future knowing that we have a great hope. No matter what happens on this planet, Jesus will appear, the second coming will take place and we have a fantastic future. In the midst of chaos, there's divine hope. We hope you have been blessed and inspired by this message. 